things that's very fascinating about the Bible, one of the things that I like to look for and to speak about sometimes is that there are great themes in the Bible. It, sometimes from one end to the other, they seem, for me at least, to roll like thunder through the pages and the books of the Bible. And you may have heard me say before, which I say from time to time, is that it seems like writer after writer, century after century, book after book, place after place, the people who wrote these things are thinking about the same things. A number of different things, but they're all thinking about the same things. And, of course, the reason why is that the same God who inspired the Old Testament writers also appears to us in the New Testament, and we hear the things that he say. And he doesn't change, and he often repeats himself, but in different ways. Sometimes the things are almost hidden from us, but the Bible reveals its mysteries to us if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, which, by the way, is a big theme in the Bible from one end to the other. Turn to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, the context here is that John the Baptist is in prison, and he's about to be killed. Herodias um, uh, Herod's wife is working out a plan. He's going to have him killed. But at this point, he is in prison and has been there for a while. Verse 11, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding the 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? At that point, Jesus gives seven signs. It's interesting, if you look at the parallel account in Luke chapter 7, verse 21, it adds a detail that Christ doesn't answer the question immediately. He performs the seven signs and then answers. All right, now verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you... Hear and see. And then he lists seven things. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed are those uh, is he who is not offended in me. So those are the signs that he is presenting to the disciples of John. Now hold your place there. Now why... Would these be seven signs that John the Baptist would recognize? Well, they have to do with Jesus' purpose in coming, our personal conversion, and with the hope of all of humanity. So today, let's look at first the meaning of these miracles, second, what Christ does for each person that he calls, and third, the importance of your role in feeding the flock, because all of that is tied up in this. This is going to be a kind of a post-feast sermon, and the title of it is John the Baptist's Question. So the first point, uh, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6, has a lot going on, so let's unpack it a little bit and see what's happening there. I read in verse 2, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And by the way, uh, he said the word two is not in the Greek text. It just other translations said by his disciples. There were multiple witnesses there. And he said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? 
the commentaries differ on why John asked this question through his disciples, even though he already knew that Jesus was the Messiah. For instance, in John 1.29, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He identified the Messiah when he did that. So John knew who Jesus was. So the commentaries speculate, because we don't know exactly the reason given. They say, well, was he encouraging his disciples in anticipation of his own death? Maybe. He was in prison, and he may not have known all of the works that Jesus was done. And he was, maybe he's asking about that. Or um, maybe he had become discouraged in prison. I mean, after all, he was a man. What could have been the reason? Well, I'll give you my speculation on that a little bit later in the message today. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. This is just a little aside, but sometimes you look at this and say, well, wait a minute, why those signs? Jesus said he would only give one sign. So this question comes up. What about Jesus is saying that the only sign he would give is the sign of Jonah. Is there some contradiction here? So let's read this, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the, the quick answer to that is he would only give the sign of Jonah to this evil and adulterous generation, and he was speaking to the religious leaders of the day. But arguably that could have extended to all of Judah or all of humanity at that time. But the evidence that Christ gave John the Baptist, who had asked this question through his own disciples, multiple witnesses, was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah, prophecies about the Messiah. These were things that the Messiah would be doing and could be seen and heard at the time. What were some of them? Well, let's look. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus said the poor have the gospel preached to them. It should be remembered that these these prophecies are dual. They have to do with uh, the, the millennial rule of Christ, but also his first coming as well. That's because Christ doesn't change. Whether he is there only as just himself and only as the king then, or whether he comes in power and glory with a multitude of his saints at a later time, He's doing the same things. Verse 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Good news to the poor. That's the gospel preached. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Healing. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Free a captive people from Satan's kingdom. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound, bound in deception and sin. Well, he did that for the church then, doing it now, but he will do it for the whole world in the future. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3, 5, and 6. Isaiah 35, verses 3, and 5, and 6. 
Now, this describes a millennial setting, but the king was among them then and was doing the same things then that he will do on a vastly larger scale in the kingdom of God. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands. Well, remember a man with a withered hand? He strengthened it. He gave him the power and healed it. And make the firm the feeble knees. Remember, Jesus to John, the lame walked. He had healed a man who was completely lame. Now, in verse 5, we see, once again, this thing of seeing and hearing and the importance of it. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Well, he was healing blind people. Now, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. He healed the deaf, people who were deaf and mute. He healed them. Verse 6, then the lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb, meaning the mute, shall sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This draws a picture. To me, the whole world at this point is singing in the millennium, not just the mute. The whole world will burst forth and bloom and sing of its own. Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19. We're continuing with this list in prophecy Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19. Once again, is Jesus Christ through Isaiah giving the things that he would do when he came the first time and when he comes the second time. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. They can't hear it now, but in that day they shall. The eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity, not of darkness. The humble shall also increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. Good news. People rejoice at good news. Mark chapter 9, verse 25. Once again, got a little Bible study here looking at a lot of these things. Prophesied and then fulfilled. Christ has power over Satan, and he will bind him in the kingdom. But he demonstrated that the first time he came to the people in Judea. He didn't say, look, all of you people, I'm going to bind Satan in the future in 2,000 years from now. He showed his power then. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Irresistible power, the spirit left. Verse 27 through 31. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And he said to him, Yes, Lord. He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be. And their eyes were opened. People who had been blind for who knows how long. Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But then when when they had departed, they spread the news about him in their own country. Well, (laughs) you've been blind in your own hometown 
for maybe your entire life, and all of a sudden you walk in with your eyes bright, wide open seeing things, yes, the word got around. Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 26, 19. Once again, we've got a prophecy. We're looking at fulfillments. Jesus raised Lazarus and others from the dead, as he will do for many more in the resurrections when he comes. He has the power to do it. Verse 19, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall rise. This is a promise to us, to the church. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. At the beginning and end of the millennium, the great resurrections. So to summarize point number one, the things that Jesus was doing were prophesied activities of the Messiah. John the Baptist would have recognized them even though the world did not. So second point. The king had come, but of course Israel didn't recognize him. He was doing the same things on a small scale locally in Judea that he would do for the whole world in the millennium. His physical miracles were a picture of the spiritual miracles and great worldwide miracles, healing, that he will perform when he binds Satan and implements his government on earth. Christ is the chief cornerstone. He is called the chief cornerstone. And we are living stones, lively stones. We're, <laughs> we're not immortal yet. We are being prepared and made apart from the temple. But at one point, this is going to come, all of the stones are going to come together in the temple. But the chief cornerstone was there then, and he was doing the same things on a small scale that he will do on a vast scale in the future, when he has the entire temple with him. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11. Once again, I'd just like to go over this. The spiritual blindness and deafness is the current state of Satan's world, both then and now. The world is in darkness. We preach God's truth to the world. It goes out with countless, I know how many there are, I can't remember right offhand, over 100 stations, networks, everything, all over the world. We preach this. It's on the Internet. We have literature but only a small number of people seem to be able to grasp it. Many of you remember when you first came in the church, you were excited about it, and you started telling your neighbors or other family members, and you got a blank stare. That's because God was working with you, and now he is, if you are baptized, you are, he is working in you. But the others, it just seems like they can't see it. They can't hear it. But they will in the future. They will be able to do it in the future. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and return and be healed. This describes the spiritual state of the world, but it also describes God's mercy, one of the great messages of the last great day. They 
Uh, if they saw and heard now, they would be responsible for what they saw and heard. But he's not allowing them to do it now, but he will in the future. Let's hear this in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 15. Matthew 13, verses 10 through 15. It simply wasn't yet time for them to see and hear. And Christ was doing this as he had prophesied he would do in earlier times in mercy to them. Verse 10. And the disciples came, and they said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given, at least not yet at that time. Verse 12. For the mysteries, um, for whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, Even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, and here we go, we just read it, hearing you will hear hear and not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and that I turn and heal them. But pointing out we are responsible for what we see and hear. You have these eyes to see, you have these ears to hear, and you are responsible for what you have. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Brethren, do we value what we see and hear? Do we value it? It's important that we do, because what you don't value you may lose, and it has happened before. Luke chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Luke chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. Christ's demonstrations of power over Satan and his demons was evidence of what Christ will do when he binds Satan in the future. Here we're going through the list of seven things. Verse 18. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? For therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He was saying the king was standing there. The kingdom of God was with them at that time in the person of Jesus Christ. All of the rest of the kingdom wasn't there yet. He hadn't yet formed his church. He will form, he is forming his church, and he will resurrect his church. But what Christ would not tell them, he showed them by his miracles. What he wouldn't tell them outright, he showed them by his miracles. They had a witness. That's what these seven things were doing. They gave the people a witness 
even though they may not have seen or could hear. John the Baptist had the Spirit of God and could understand what was happening. Christ's healing demonstrated important things. There are things that are part of reality that God sees all the time. But Satan keeps the world blind to those things and keeps them in spiritual darkness. Do you have your spiritual eyes on? Do you see them? Do you keep them in view? Because they're all here. They're all truly true realities that God has before us that he wants us to be able to see and hear with what he gives us. The world is spiritually blind now, but in the kingdom of God, they will see. The world is deaf now, but in the kingdom of God, they will hear the word. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's got them stopped up. They can't hear, but that's going to end. The world is lame now, but in the kingdom of God, they will be able to walk in the light of his word. Lepers were regarded as unclean, and he cleansed them. In the kingdom of God, the whole world will have the opportunity to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus raised people from the dead, prefiguring what he will do when he appears in power and glory in the resurrection. You can see what he was demonstrating, what he was showing the people. Matthew 12 22 and 23. Matthew chapter 12 in verses 22 and 23. The king was with them. He was right there. And as such, they were witnessing the chief cornerstone of the kingdom, as I mentioned earlier. But they just couldn't seem to get it. It wasn't their time yet. Verse 22. When one was brought to them who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, He healed him so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And the multitudes were amazed and said, this is the Messiah. Yeah. They said, could this be the son of David? Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. I don't know. I don't want to decide. Well, we have answered that question. And for one reason, big reason, is we have heard the proof of God's word that identifies the Messiah. Among them uh, were the signs of Jesus that he pointed out to his disciples of John. And Christ has done them for each of us. We all have the proof in our lives where he has healed us, where he has uh, opened our eyes, opened our ears, stopped our blind, healed our blindness, enabled us to walk when we were in his way, where we, <laughs> we were all lame before, that's for sure, in the walk that he has for us, he has done this for all of us. So if you are converted, you have been made to see and to hear, to be cleansed and to walk. And all of these things picture what Christ does for us individually now and what he will do for the entire world in his kingdom. The king was among them, but they couldn't see what he was doing. But as a prophet, John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit and could see. So Jesus reassured John and his disciples by pointing these things out to them. So just in summarizing point number two, let's go back to the question. Why did God cause John the Baptist to ask Christ about being the coming one? Why did he do that? Well, we don't know because 
The word doesn't say specifically. But the scriptures do give us an indication. I think that it was so that Christ could give us the answer. You know, the answer didn't just go to John and his disciples. We have it recorded for us to see as well. Christ gave John and us the seven prophetic signs that he was miraculously fulfilling. Just my thought about that matter. So point number three, point number three. The account of John the Baptist's question is in uh, Mark 11. But a little farther on in Matthew's account of all of this, Christ adds something to the list of things that he does and will do for the world in the kingdom. It's a little bit later on in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 29. So let's read that. He's going to run through the list again, this time a little more briefly. Well, let's see what he says. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went on to the mountain and sat, went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having them, here we go, the lame, uh, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many other, and they, others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Um, not much explanation here. Verse 31. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maid, the made hold, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, verse 32, Jesus, Jesus calls his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Notice the next sentence. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Okay? Christ had healed them, but unless they had some food, they wouldn't have enough strength for the journey ahead of them. They needed another miracle, but this one was going to be for the entire assembly. I wonder if you've ever noticed that. Verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves, the seven loaves and the fish, and gave thanks broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up the seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Uh, Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Five, six, eight, perhaps 10,000 people there. Just He gave just a few little bits of food to his disciples, and then the disciples fed a vast number of people. So not only do we need to see and to hear and to be healed and cleansed in order to walk in God's light, we need spiritual food to provide strength for the journey that lies ahead. Christ provides that bread and reminds us every uh, spring in the days of unleavened bread that we need to eat this year-round, and I hope we are continuing all around year-round to do that. We study God's Word daily. We read the literature the church puts out. We listen to the sermons. We come together. We exhort and encourage one another. We learn to apply these things in our lives. Christ's ministry feeds the flock, 
And it's important that we all take that food and make the most of it that we can. We support the ministry that provides it. And all the church, all of you, have a role in doing this. Remember, only 12 disciples started a work that is still feeding a vast multitude. There was no actual number to the number of people that were fed that day. We don't get it. We only get the number of men. There were many more. A multiple of that number were actually fed. And we are, this work that you are supporting is feeding the world and people who are on their journey. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 34. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 34. Our Father provides the food that we need for our life's journey. It's important that we take it, that we take that food. I like to think of uh, the, the, the lessons that we, that we have, the Bible study that we do as spiritual food, prayer as spiritual drink. If you aren't praying, if you aren't studying, you're on a fast. And you can know it, can't you? You don't, if you're not studying, you're not praying, Pretty soon you, after a day or so, a couple of days, you can tell that you have not been doing it. Verse 32, And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. This is bread that we need for our journey through life. John 21, 15 through 17. John 21, 15 through 17. Jesus gave Peter an instruction, which he relayed to the ministry of the church. Subsequently, verse 15 So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to them, Simon, uh, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. First Peter 5 and verse 2, Peter then takes this instruction and he gives it to the ministry. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. And it's something that um, every time uh, uh, a man is ordained into the ministry, something that he should be reminded of and reminded of again. Teach what you've been taught and make the truth plain. Verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. 
So this time of year, we're going out into the world, and we're remembering to continue to feed on Christ throughout our life's journey to our home in the kingdom. We also remember our work in feeding others on their journey, and everyone in the church has a part of that. Summarize point number three. Christ showed us that after we are given spiritual vision, spiritual uh, healed and cleansed, that we need to be fed for the rest of our journey in this life. And the food that we eat is the bread of life, which is Christ. We feed on Christ and live by every word of God, every word of God. It is the role of God's ministry and his church to preach the gospel and to feed the flock, the two great things that we do. Preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world, which we are doing, and feeding the flock as well. And Christ reminded them of that in, in that extra comment that Matthew recorded. It is a great privilege to participate in it and serve in any way that Christ had for each of us. He works through his body. He works through his body. And he's building in us uh, a church. He's building living stones, polishing and making them ready that he will bring them all together. For God, character is a skill set. It's a skill set that he's building in us. And he is preparing offices of service that are going to be in his kingdom, in his millennial rule, and will go out uh, forever and as his government grows forever. So he works through his body, and we are continuing to be used by him. Christ gave us an example when he fed the multitude so that they wouldn't faint along the way. And we need to remember that example and follow that instruction. John chapter 6, verses 67 and 68. Christ asks us today the same question that he asked Peter. Let's just read it. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Well, Christ, the word of God, is the bread of life. Let us always say, Lord, give us this bread always. And we will share it and feed all that he calls.